Welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Kerr, a.k.a. The Ginger, and we are back for another week here on the podcast. And tonight's episode, as always, will be busy, will be jam-packed. We've got guests, we've got Dutch, we've got Super Bowl summary and more here. So let's get into it. But before we hop right into it with my thoughts on Super Bowl 56, let's handle some admin stuff. First off, shout out to uh, to a couple loyal listeners here. And I've been meaning to uh, to give both of these gentlemen a, a big shout out. But the first one going to George McMillan from uh, Glasgow, Scotland, a loyal supporter of Triple G and Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast, so, uh, supports us across all of our social media fronts and uh, loyal listener. So, George, shout out to you uh, listening all the way over there in the UK, and uh, make sure you're sharing it, and uh, hopefully we can increase our UK listeners and UK presence here on on Triple G. So thanks for everything you do. And uh, secondly, for those that uh, joined us on Saturday night, February the 12th at 9 p.m., we had an Instagram live. We had the old boy on there. We had uh, the czar, Tyler Wolf, on there talking Bengals. And we also had this gentleman, Mr. Steve Bourne, on, um, just started out a new podcast or a new, new YouTube show, Born to Talk Sports. So uh, loyal listener of this podcast and supporter. So thanks, Steve, for, uh, for joining us on our Instagram Live, and thanks for everything that you do. And if you haven't had the opportunity, please do so. Check out uh, that new YouTube show. It's uh, real current and real uh, it's short and sweet. It's really, really good, actually. It's about 10 to 15 minutes long each episode. Um, just checking in on the daily occurrences of what's happening in the sports world, not just specific to football or any sport. It, uh, it covers everything across the board from, from your, uh, yours truly, Toronto Maple Leafs, to, uh, to everything. So check that out if you have the opportunity. Born to Talk Sports with, uh, with Steve Bourne. So keep up the good work, Steve. And on Triple G, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for our weekly golf picks. We're going to get into those with Dutch after the break. And um, everything that's happening in the world of of Triple G and our YouTube page, uh, please give us a a subscription, rate, review, share the podcast, and uh, let's keep this Triple G world and family going strong. Some other final housekeeping items, folks. Uh, Tonight we'll be uh, kind of moving forward. We're going to back away from football a little bit and really start to focus in on the golf portion of this podcast, at least here for the next couple weeks um, as football uh, kind of calms down here until we kick up into uh, into uh, March. And uh, March 2nd, 9th, and the 16th, we will have our um, free agency previews. Then we move into April on the, uh, the 13th, 20th, and 27th. We'll have those draft previews, and then starting May 4th, we're going to uh, go on a 16-week schedule, two teams per week, giving you uh, the upcoming 2022 season, maybe some uh, projections, 
what those teams have done in the draft and free agency to help bolster their roster and holes and stuff like that. So that's how we'll move forward throughout the summer in terms of uh, of the NFL and the football portion of this podcast. In terms of the uh, the golf portion, we'll start out tonight with a great guest in Dutch, and we'll continue going uh, forward with that, lining up some uh, some big guests here. Uh, coming up so uh, stay tuned for that but that's uh, all of our housekeeping items moving forward here on the triple g podcast but tonight we've got our super bowl preview to kick us off here we're going to be joined shortly by alexis craft of downtown rams podcast host and writer some great content there from her we're excited to break that down from the rams portion and help her celebrate that rams victory but before we uh, we kick it over with Alexis, let's find out our summary or my thoughts of uh, of Super Bowl Fifty Six. Super Bowl Fifty Six, um, like we said in our preview show, hosted at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. The attendance was just over seventy thousand strong in the stadium that night. The Rock kicked us off with uh, with a little uh, pump up preview of of the game and listen i i love the rock but uh terrible timing terrible timing that should have been done as the teams came out uh of the um of the uh, tunnel and onto the field um for their entrance onto the field and i i know it's tough because that entrance happens probably at 10 after 6 you know 20 minutes before the game but um it just seemed to drag on it wasn't to me wasn't fair to the players they're on the field ready to go uh if you're going to do something like that don't have the special teams guys lined up and ready to play at least when when they did it in LA throughout the course of the season with my Michael Buffer it's short and sweet let's get ready to rumble half the times the, the away teams just kicking the ball off anyways and uh and it it just kind of slides in with with the broadcast but um yeah, I think that the timing for the Rock preview could have been a much, much better in terms of the that speech and that, that pregame uh, thing that happened there with the Rock. So love the Rock, love that he was involved, just don't like the timing of, of when it went down. In terms of viewership, uh, they started to count the, the bar viewers in the Super Bowl viewerships and ratings and all that stuff, 167 million total viewers on average 112.3 million average viewership uh some of the bigger markets um metered markets top three cincinnati to be expected detroit just shows you um their support for matthew stafford and pittsburgh was uh, rounding out the top 10 metered markets on there so uh real interesting to have detroit and pittsburgh on there but uh pittsburgh's football town steel city so not uh, overly surprised, but Detroit, hey, just shows you the uh, the great support uh, from the Lions franchise and the, and the city of Detroit for Matthew Stafford. And let's lead off with Matthew Stafford and his truly, to me, historical playoff run. And and we look at the the playoffs, and you know we we kick it all the way back to to the middle of January and that wild card weekend with six games and. We come out of there with, you know, four full-on blowouts and, uh, you know, one semi-blowout and, and truly out of the six games, one, you know, competitive game. And, and we're, you know, you're, you're reviewing there and looking at how things are shaping up for, for the playoffs. And 
you're, you're, you know, a little bit of trepidation. You're a little bit worried about, you know, is this going to be a good playoffs? And boy, in those final seven games, did it ever, ever deliver? Six of which were decided by a field goal. The other one was the Bills-Chiefs game, which went to overtime. And it was historic, possibly one of the best playoff football games of all time. So uh, the 2021-2022 season and, and playoff did not disappoint. What a great run. Probably out of those last from the divisional round to, to the conference championships to the Super Bowl, you're not going to have seven closer football games um, in a playoff series. But listen, Matthew Stafford joins uh, the likes of... Uh, you know, Trent Dilfer and Tom Brady in players that uh, won the Super Bowl in their first season with a new team. Uh, Dilfer doing it uh, with the 2000 Ravens and obviously Tom Brady doing it last year with the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, that's a great start for Matt Stafford because that's why he was brought to Los Angeles. And he did what he was brought there to do and to shut everybody up. He leads the playoffs with 1,188 total passing yards, um, 83 yards ahead of Joe Burrow, who had 11.05. Mahomes and Allen uh, right up there as well with, with Brady, but obviously playing playing less games. But a beat-up, banged-up Matthew Stafford, who played the most football games for any quarterback in NFL history with 17 football games and four playoff games, 21 games total. Um, that body's got to be hurting, but uh, it's worth it all uh, on nights like Sunday night to take home the Lombardi Trophy and that Super Bowl. And talking about legacy, talking about shutting people up in a narrative, did Matthew Stafford do it um, this playoffs? He comes into this playoffs with 0-3 playoff record with the Detroit Lions. Couldn't push them over the top. Couldn't get by that first round with the Lions, with the likes of Calvin Johnson and Nate Burlinson and some of those receivers and, and pretty good offenses, um, I should say passing attacks, because they never really had a running game. And they just couldn't bring it all together defensively and special teams-wise in Detroit to, to help build enough around uh, Matthew to, to get him over the top. So he comes over from L.A. with a lot of questions. 0-3 playoff record. Can he be the one to do this? Because the Rams had made the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. And boy, did he shut everybody up. In the four wins in the 2021-2022 playoffs, he gets three game-winning drives, which now holds him higher than Drew Brees, Kurt Warner, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes, Brett Favre, Johnny Unitas, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Jim Kelly, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Fran Tarkenton, and Bart Starr. Wow. You want to talk about 1,188 passing yards in four playoff games. You want to talk about winning a Super Bowl in your first season. You want to talk about three game-winning drives. You want to talk about no-look passes. What a historic playoff and Super Bowl run by number nine, true class professional Matthew Stafford. Well done. On to Cooper Cup. What, what can you say about Cooper Cup, the MVP of Super Bowl 56? Stepped up when they absolutely needed him. And I'll get into kind of what I thought happened there in the second half and how Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup saved. And I'll talk to with Alexis about it as well. I thought they saved uh, Sean McVay. But listen, um, wins the Triple Crown for receiving. Receptions, yards, yards per attempt. Wins the Offensive Player of the Year. 
win Super Bowl MVP. There's only one player that has ever done that at the wide receiver position, and that's Jerry Rice. Cooper Cup did that, and he's the only player to do it all in one single season. So Jerry took his career to do it. Cooper Cup does it all in one season. Just history. Absolutely history by these two guys. And they did it together um, under the the tutelage and coaching of Sean McVay. Just absolutely uh, amazing job. And the Rams franchise joined the likes of, uh, of them and 14 other teams with two or more Super Bowl victories. You know, leading the way is Pittsburgh and New England with six apiece. San Fran and Dallas with uh, with five each. Green Bay and the Giants with four each. Denver, the Raiders, and Washington with three each. And then you got the Bucks, Miami, Kansas City, the Ravens, and the Colts. And now the Los Angeles Rams with two apiece. So um, almost half the league has two Super Bowls or more. Um, so real... Uh, you know, nice to see some some parody on there. Cooper Cup joins uh, himself and only nine others, or he was the ninth at the wide receiver um, slash kick returner because Desmond Howard uh, that have gained Super Bowl MVP. Out of the fifty six Super Bowls, thirty one MVPs have been quarterback, six running backs, four linebacker, three defensive line, two cornerbacks, and one safety. At that uh, at that Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP spot, you're looking at uh, wide receivers that that won it. Uh, Lince won in Super Bowl ten, Fred Bolitnikoff in Super Bowl eleven, Jerry Rice in twenty, um, sorry yes twenty, um, Dion Branch in thirty nine, Heinz Hines Ward in forty, um, Santonio Holmes in forty eight, Heinz Ward in forty nine, sorry. Um, Julian Edelman in 53, and now Cooper Cup in 56, and then that kick returner slash wide receiver, Desmond Howard in Super Bowl 31. So um, some pretty elite company there for Cooper Cup, elite company for the uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and uh, elite company for Matthew Stafford, and the, uh, the Hall of Fame debates have definitely begun. I'm sure uh, all over the social media you've seen it, and with Richard Sherman as well. So... Um, and we'll we'll have the opportunity to talk about that and and get into that. But um, in terms of of the uh, the losing squad, and and we'll we'll circle back to to the Rams and some questions we got with Alexis shortly here. But for me, in terms of the Bengals, uh, I, I got one thing. And to me, you always hear about you know, oh, don't worry, Joe Burrow and the Bengals and this young young core, and they'll be back. I'm going to give you two stats here both around the same point about being back. And and if you've listened to this podcast, you know how I feel about we'll be back, uh, narrative and thoughts in terms of, of um, getting back to the Super Bowl. Only three quarterbacks have ever lost their first Super Bowl and have gone back to win another Super Bowl. John Elway, Roger Staubach, and Len Dawson. Okay? In the last 45 years... 27 quarterbacks have lost the Super Bowl. Only four of them have ever come back to win, period. So not only have they lost, but they, the first one lost their, the, the first stat, they lost their first one, came back and won the second one. Elway, Staubach, and Dawson. Okay? In the last 45 years, 27 quarterbacks have lost the, lost the Super Bowl. Only four have ever been back to win. Tom Brady did it twice. John Elway, like we just stated above. And Peyton Manning. 
and that's it in the last 45 years. So historically in the 56, and that's why Staubach and Dawson aren't included in that second stat. So, you know, you're looking at it over the last 45 years. This is not something that happens often here, and that's why I've always said when you when you have these opportunities, you have to take advantage of them because you don't know when you're going to be back. And let's call it a spade a spade. You know, I'm not I'm not here to, to bash the Bengals, but they've got a lot to do in terms of building around Joe Burrow and, and that offensive line, as you know. They've got some holes at corner. Uh, I think that, that we all kind of saw Eli Apple and, and, and others um, throughout that Super Bowl. And a lot of things fell their way. Uh, in terms of making it to this Super Bowl. That defense four times stopped the opposing team from from a game-winning drive, right? They were able to win three close games. You go back to, to Vegas and the, the pick by Jermaine Pratt on the goal line, right? You go back to uh, the Tennessee game, and Matt, Ryan Tannehill has the ball with just under two minutes to go to, to have a game-winning drive. Defensive interception, Pass to Chase, game-winning field goal by McPherson goes their way. You look at Kansas, the Kansas Kansas City game, you know, down twenty-one to three, they pull it out, winning on a last-second thing. So there's a lot of things that that did go Kansas City's way, or sorry, Cincinnati's way to get there. So um, just disappointing for them. They had the opportunity, they just couldn't couldn't push it over the top, and and that really transitions well to me uh, to my thoughts on the game. And to me, what I take away from from this game, and before we kick it over to our chat with uh, with Alexis Kraft here, is the game was exactly what to me what we thought it was. You know, you analyze this game to the nth degree with all the prognosticators and our preview and their preview and, and everything that that's done, and we were we were bang on, and we got exactly what we thought. Can the Bengals O line hold up? Well, over a four quarter sixty minute game. No, it couldn't. You saw that. Um, can can Cincinnati get find a way to get their playmakers going and and Chase and Mixon and Higgins? Well, they got Higgins going a little bit, but they couldn't find a way to get the rest of them going, right? Um, the running games, all those types of things. So, to me, it was very. It was exactly what we we, we thought. The big matchups that we we thought we were going to see, we saw a, f- a few of them. And, um, you know, the stars to me really came to shine for, for the Los Angeles Rams when it mattered the most. I was surprised the Rams couldn't get the running game going with Cam Akers. I, I really was surprised by that. I thought they would have some success. And I was surprised that the Bengals didn't continue to really push Joe Mixon and, and get that running game going. It, we knew the quick game was going to be available, and we talked about that on our, our preview uh, show the night before with uh, with Tyler and Steve and, and Old Boy with with quick passes. And, and what happened was is that the Rams really started to sit on those uh, those short routes. You know, Joe Mixon five five receptions out of the backfield backfield for a yard, right? Um, um, P Ryan didn't have a, a big impact on the game. They really did a good job on Boyd. Um, you know, six catches for, for 48 yards. So they really did a good job of, of tackling well and, and really sitting on that, that short, quick game, which made it, which made it tough for, for Cincy to, to, to 
effectively consistently move the ball down the field. Yes, they were able to get some big plays and, and score some some touchdowns, but um, in terms of drive in, drive out, they just stalled out too much because they weren't able to make the Rams miss tackles and keep the chains moving and and not rely as much as they should have on that run game. You know, you're up in the second half. Mixon's got 15 carries for 72 yards by the time the game's over. Keep pounding them, especially when that old line's starting to get banged up. You see Donald flip the game with a sack. Um, I would have used Mixon more in the run game. Uh, in terms of uh, the defenses, great third down and fourth down defenses by both of these defenses. You know, Bengals go four for 17 on third and fourth down combined, one for three on fourth down. And that's effectively what it came down to. They were not a good short yardage team. And, um, you know, for some reason on third and one, they hand the ball to P. Ryan. Don't know why Mixon's not on the field there. Some say he was banged up on an earlier play. I'm not too sure, but um, real interesting and questionable play calling in terms of um, of the Bengals and some of the short yardage stuff. Uh, the Rams made just enough plays. They were 6-for-16 on third and fourth down combined for them. Um, and, and when you have those numbers combined, you know, 10-for-33, you're going to have a lot of punts, 12 punts total. Seven punts in a row um, from the 10-minute mark in the in the third quarter through to the 10-minute mark in the fourth quarter. The game kind of really hit a lull at that point. And that was the point where Cincinnati had an opportunity. Listen, the, the Ram, both teams did. The Rams twice in a row uh, had the ball on the 47 and 48-yard line with an opportunity to, to really take a stranglehold on the game in that and come back. Um, in the third quarter, and they come away with just a field goal to make it, you know, twenty to sixteen. The Bengals have three possessions at at twenty to thirteen after snatching um, the the big play from Higgins, which is the uh, first time in Super Bowl history that the first play at the start of the game or at the out of a half goes for a touchdown. Higgins hits the big touchdown, and um, you know, then they get the pick. Rams defense stands tall. Holds the field goal, twenty to thirteen, and the Rams stall out. Bengals get the ball. Rams stall out. Bengals get the ball, um, and the Bengals had opportunities there, and they just couldn't get that next touchdown to make it, or that next score to make it twenty three thirteen, to make it twenty seven thirteen, and really put the pressure on the Rams. And I think if they had that opportunity and they were able to do it, uh, I think uh, that could have pushed them over the edge. Surprised, you know, the Rams come out of that game. When if you were to ask me at the at at the start of that game, you know, um, what's a path for Cincinnati's victory? You would say, you know, the turnover battle. And Cincinnati went went ahead and won that plus two. Rams minus two, and they still come away with a win. So they kind of bucked the trend there for sure. So um, real interesting thoughts. You know, Cincinnati did a great job stopping the run. For only 48 yards or 43 yards rushing for the Rams. And the, credit to the Rams, they stuck with it because I think they knew that the uh, same on the opposite end, that there was a potential big play there for the the Bengals if they just abandoned the run completely and had, had Stafford back there uh, throwing the ball on every single down in play. So um, overall, good Super Bowl. Maybe not the best played game in terms of offensive efficiency, but it had everything you needed. It had def- a defensive defensive plays, sacks, interceptions. Um, it had some excitement and was close at the end. Good finish. Uh, both quarterbacks had the opportunity to go ahead and win the game. 
and uh, it came down to that home field advantage. And nice to nice by the refs to let them play for 58 minutes. Did I like some of the calls in the last two minutes? No. The only one I really have a big problem with is the, the holding call on Cup on third down. I thought that's a, a potential game-changing call for sure there, uh, giving them a fresh set of downs on a, on a third down and goal there from, uh, I believe it was the six or eight-yard line there. So I think that's a big penalty. The one on Cup in the end zone is a flag all day long. Um, and I think since he got away with a hold on the previous play um, as well. So tiny bit of a makeup call as well, I think. Uh, they missed the call on, on Higgins on that first play out of half. That's a tough play. You know, the, the ref's got to be in the right spot at the right time to actually see that happen. They're hand battling there. To me, that's an easy miss and a non-reviewable play. I'm going to let that one slide for the referees there. But I think that cup call is a, a big call at that moment in time in the game. But overall... Pretty good Super Bowl for for uh, for two teams that you know I don't have a lot a huge interest in other than uh, than a couple players for sure. But let's get the Rams portion or the Rams side and how Los Angeles is feeling in that city of champions. Let's kick it over to our chat with Alexis Kraft and enjoy, folks. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome to writer from downtownrams.com and co-host of the Downtown Rams podcast, Alexis Kraft. Alexis, welcome to the show. How's LA? How's the weather? And how are you doing? Um, It's going well. I actually am not in LA at the moment. Um, So I don't know about the weather, but what I can say from people who are there right now and were there after the Super Bowl win... Uh, I heard there was like mayhem in the streets. Wow. I I don't know what mayhem means, but that is the word that I was told. Um, And I feel like it's been a nonstop party for Rams fans all over the country. So, uh, you know, I, I rightfully so. I think that when your team wins the Super Bowl, you should be allowed to party for a week and no one is allowed to say anything. Well, I'm a Bills fan here, so I know the mafia up here. Um, in the in the north, will be partying a lot longer than a week. So I think I think I think two or three weeks is is totally okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm all for it. I love it. Um, read your your kind of preview article, and you were bang on. You know, you had a couple projections talking about Matt Stafford throwing throwing three touchdowns, and and both defenses being able to uh, you know flex their muscle, if you will, and and, and get mm-hmm. some stops in this game. But what was your biggest surprise? after watching the game that you kind of took away and said, Hey, I didn't maybe see that happening or something that, that kind of threw you off kilter. Well, I didn't think it would take us until the second half to destroy the Bengals offensive line. I, you know, I was really surprised that they held their own in the first half. And listen, I actually really like the Bengals. I think they're a really good team, but I'm not a fan of their offensive line. And I also don't think that Joe Burrow is a fan of their offensive line. Uh, they've been really, really bad in the playoffs. I mean, if you look at the Titans game, he was sacked nine times uh, in one playoff game, which was a record. And I just, you know, knowing the Rams defensive front, I thought that we were going to sack, you know, Joe Burrow the whole game. And it took us until the second half. So that was really surprising to me. Um, you know, looking back after the game, I, I have to give credit to the Bengals offensive line for holding on as long as they did. Yeah, and, and, you know, one thing that I wanted to kind of pick your brain on was how important the adjustment was from Raheem Morris in terms of moving Donald away from 
um, the center spot and really being able to move him around that defensive line and, and not have that Bengals offensive line be able to key on him and, and set up the, the double teams and the triple teams to allow him to, um, you know, cause havoc and really wreck the game for, for the Rams in the second half. I mean, I think it was, it was major. Um, I think it was, you know, a lot of people might not have noticed that adjustment um, if you're just watching the game, but I know a lot of Rams fans did and, and other people uh, did as well. And I think it, it, it worked because uh, like I mentioned, we were just having a little bit of trouble. You know, I think the Bengals had a really good game plan um, going against the Rams defense. If you, like I said, in the first half, they held their own and, and Joe Burrow was getting the ball out super quick. And so I think it was obviously something that Raheem uh, Morris noticed. Um, And then after he made that adjustment, I mean, we just started getting sacks left and right. (laughs) So it worked. Yeah, you're right. And and what I noticed too was, is that they really started to challenge the the Bengals to have enough time to be able to dial up the plays. Like, yeah, okay. They hit the, the big play to chase there, you know, early on in the game, but I think they kind of felt, Hey, that, you know what, if that this line, if we can start to get home and get pressure, they're not going to be able to get the ball down the field. So we can start to sit on some of the short stuff. Like you said, like they were using the quick game with Mixon. I know they weren't necessarily effective with Mixon, but they Mm -hmm. were with Boyd and they, they were able to get some to Higgins and even to chase over the middle of the field a couple of times. And I think Morris kind of said, okay, let's start to sit on that and push up on that, that line of scrimmage. So they can't just, go to that quick game like you said and then our pressure will be able to get home with a couple of adjustments which I thought was great yeah no I agree definitely the adjustment was was really necessary and like I said you know a a big part of that is just giving credit to the Bengals and their game plan for going against the Rams defense yeah Uh, flipping over to the other uh, the the offensive side of the other side of the ball um, Mm -hmm. with Sean McVay OBJ goes down and and you know was really kind of the turning point uh, for for a lot of the game because offensively the Rams came out strong. They were able to to move the ball and OBJ gets the the first touchdown and you know they're up thirteen to three and it really looks like they're gonna kind of do what everyone thought they were gonna do and you know go ahead and win the game thirty one fourteen or or going away. Yeah. And then all of a sudden things get a little bit sticky and and they really kind of get bogged down for the Rams and. You know, we have that that lull in the the third quarter there with seven straight punts by both teams. Did did Cooper Cup and Matthew Safford kind of sh- save Sean McVay from really getting a lot of criticism? Because if they if they don't go ahead and put together that fifteen play seventy yard you know seventy eight yard drive to to win this game, are we not talking about Sean McVay and you know maybe his ability to not make the adjustments in the big game or his play calling in certain situations. Did you think they saved McVay from, from that uh, criticism? Uh, you know, maybe I, you know, I definitely think that Matthew Stafford and Cooper cup, uh, you know, brought the team together in the end and, and did what needed to be done to win. Uh, you know, so either that, that came from Sean McVay or not, I think that was probably bound to happen. Uh, I think, you know, you mentioned the OBJ injury just was, it just, you could tell it just took the life out of our offense. I think it was just super demoralizing, totally screwed with the game plan. Um, you know, I think it, it, what it did is, is the one of the beautiful things about the addition of Odell Beckham has been that it has 
opened up opportunities for other players. You know, it's part of the reason Cooper Cup was having an amazing season before Otto Beckham Jr. got to the Rams, don't get me wrong. But having another threat like that certainly opens up opportunities for other guys like Cup or Higby or Jefferson or whoever. And losing Odell Beckham because we already have, you know, some injuries at the receiver, uh, at the receiver position and the tight end position, all the focus shifted to Cooper Cup, which is why, you know, if you if you watch that game, uh, you know, Cooper Cup, you know, at the end, I think Matthew Stafford was just kind of like, okay, we just have to start throwing to you. I know that you're getting covered a lot, but we we got to do what we got to do to win the game. And of course, Cooper Cup, like he always does, showed up. Uh, but I think, I think, yeah, I think I, I understand your point and, you know, I, it's certainly a possibility because Matthew Stafford and, and again, Cooper cup, they're just so electric and they're so on the same page that you could tell at the end of the game, they were just going to do what they needed to do to win. Yeah. And you know what, I, what I, I did mention to a colleague of mine too, was I did like how McVeigh didn't, he didn't try to overcoach it on that, that fourth and one call. It was, you know what, we're going to get the ball in our best players hands and and it was on a you know a jet sweep but you know if, if you're gonna put your season on the line because effectively that's what they were doing on that fourth and one play there you know who else are you gonna give it to other than cooper cup which was i thought was was real good of mcveigh to realize that and not try to get cute and and you know try to get it to acres or henderson or or, um, you know, Scrotne or, or whoever was out on the field at that time, you know, mm-hmm. let's get it to our best player's hands. And he made the, the play to kind of get that drive kick started before we saw the no-look pass. And, and then, you know, the rest is history. So, yeah, good good on McVay's part there, I thought, as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree. In terms of moving forward now and, and what we're going to see from this Rams, there's a lot of kind of big-name free agents that are kind of – going to be questioned as you know are they going to be returning are they going to test free agency you know we got von miller and obj and austin corbett and andrew mm-hmm. whitworth and his potential retirement and joseph Noteboom, troy reader and matt gay so a lot of this core may or may not be back in in 2022 what is your feeling in terms of free agency for guys like von miller and obj did the rams got a chance to resign some of these guys or do you think they're as good as gone uh, I, I think that they both want to be back. And I think the Rams will, you know, they both said that they want to be back in LA um, and that they're willing to take less money to do so. So I think there's a very strong chance that Von Miller and OBJ both come back to the Rams. I think there's a stronger chance with Odo Beckham. Um, I think that, that Vaughn has, has a, you know, I think Vaughn is probably more willing to explore his options. I think that he's going to get a lot of, big offers uh, elsewhere, you know, and Odo Beckham probably will too, but Odo Beckham has been very, very clear, uh, you know, like almost excessively that he wants to stay in Los Angeles. And especially with this injury that is, it's so unfortunate that he got mm-hmm. this injury. Um, but I think it, it, it makes him even probably more inclined to stay in LA. And I think, you know, for the Rams, they, they want him here, you know, with that injury, we still have Cooper cup, Van Jefferson, Robert Woods will be back. Uh, you know, hopefully at the beginning of the season next uh, next season, he has that uh, ACL injury as well. So, yeah, I think there's a very strong chance that, that both of them come back. I think if I had to put, pick one, it would be Odell Beckham. As far as uh, Austin Corbett, you know, not sure there. Um, I, I would assume that the Rams will try 
to bring him back as well. Uh, I do think Andrew Whitworth is going to retire. I will be very shocked if he does not. He has had basically the storybook ending of storybook endings with winning the Walter Payton Man of the Year award to playing his old team that he played for for so long in the Super Bowl and then winning the Super Bowl. Uh, I'll be very shocked if he does he does not retire because he's the sentiment around him all season has kind of been uh, that that he was uh, at the end. So we'll see. But I I, I do think the Rams are going to probably bring back a lot more people than uh, people think they will. And the big question is uh, the defensive master and probably the best defensive tackle maybe in in NFL history and in, in Aaron Donald and. You know, I know mm-hmm. I saw him there today, uh, you know, with, with Stafford and Cup at, at Disney World or Disneyland and in, enjoying his time. But what's your feeling there with Aaron Donald? Is this um, just, you know, natural feelings coming out in terms of after eight, you know, long, hard seasons in the NFL and, and climbing to the top of the mountain and maybe realizing, you know, that this is starting to wear and tear on my body and, and mine? Or do you think, uh, you know, he'll be back for, for another year and try to help the Rams defend the crown? I think he'll be back. You know, I, I really think that. And I think that, if anything, his uh, his consideration to retiring is more about spending time with his family um, and his kids. And, and, you know, in his case, he's, he's basically won every award that you can win. <laughs> you know, he, he's done it. And, you know, the last thing that he needed was the Super Bowl and he got the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think he probably has had those thoughts and those conversations about, you know, is it worth it to keep going? You know, what more can I want? Should I take this time to to spend time with my family and whatnot? And, uh, you know, and I totally understand that if that's a decision that he makes, uh, I'll be super bummed as a Rams fan. Um, You know, I really don't want him to retire but I'll have to respect it. But at the end of the day, I I don't think that he's going to retire. I think that the Rams, and I think that he knows this, you know, the players know this, you know, better than we do, but I think the Rams are in a really unique position where we we can bring everybody back. This is going to be a hard team to stop next season. And I think that he knows that. And I think he's got a taste for what this is like now. You know, Aaron Donald's been on the Rams a long time. He's been on the really bad Rams teams, and the really good ones. And I think he probably wants more. I mean, wh- why not add to your legacy and build on to your resume uh, and get a couple rings? You know, I'm sure I'm sure that he will make the decision that is best for him. But I, I really don't think that he's going to retire. Yeah, you know what? I'd, I'd have to agree. And, and one thing I want to add on top of that is, is that especially right now in the NFC West, you know, as, as, as we are, you know, two days removed from, from handing out Super Bowl 56, we're also, you can also look around that NFC West and see a pretty unstable quarterback positioning from, from your competitors. You know, you, mm-hmm. you look to San Francisco and, and what's going to happen there with Jimmy Garoppolo and the emergence of Trey Lance. You go to Seattle, is Russell Wilson going to be back or is he not? You go to Arizona and Kyler Murray scrubbing his social media with all this stuff. Um, you know, taking away all the Cardinals. And, and is he going to go back to baseball? Does he want to play for the Cardinals? Um, are they going to pick up the fifth-year option? So when you start to look at that, you know, if, if, you're, on, if you're a free agent, like you said, OBJ or Von Miller or, or Aaron Donald contemplating retirement, why wouldn't you want to come back and, mm-hmm. and provide stability to that organization and, and realize how good this core is and that you could have a good two, three, four-year window here where, you know, 
you could be on top of the West, have a playoff spot every single year and, and be playing for that Lombardi come January, February here for the next three, four years. Exactly. That's, you know, and that, that's my feeling is, um, you know, I'm careful to throw around the term dynasty because in order, to, in order to have a dynasty, you have to win more than one Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that the Rams have a real opportunity to do that. And they have the opportunity to become this powerhouse of a, ge- of a team. And, you know, you've seen a team like the Chiefs, um, you know, three years in a row kind of get to where they are. And, and you know, the Rams are probably thinking, why not us? And, and it's only going to work, you know, I think if we do need a lot of these guys to come back. And I think they understand that. And I think that they will. Um, so I, I understand it's a talking point for the media, the retirement, I think the Sean McVay retirement stuff was nonsense. The Aaron Donald thing I do think had some validity to it. Um, I think it is something that he really was considering and and Mm -hmm. maybe still is, I don't know. And and I think that really is more of like a family decision and making the choice of, of when is it time? But I feel like after winning and just, just how much he wanted it and then he got it, I think he, he wants more. So I don't think that he's going to retire. Yeah. One more question and we'll get you out of here, Alexis. Um, mm-hmm. Les Snead, were you surprised how well this came together in terms of the build of this team? And I know they've, they've hit on some, some day two and day three draft picks in the draft over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Troy Reader and Ernest Jones and, and some of these names. But to, to bring in, you know, to start with Stafford and Sony Michelle and OBJ and then Von Miller, you know, it's a, that's a real risky move with some of those personalities. Were you surprised that this all came together or did you have confidence that McVeigh was going to make this work? I had confidence that it was going to work. I think, I think how could you go wrong with, with some of these guys, but also something that I've said is you see it all the time in sports where, you know, you want to call it like a super team or whatever you want to call it, but the players still have to gel well together and play well together, or it's not going to work. You can have all, you can have all the talent in the world, but if it's just a mismatch, it's not going to work. And I always, I'm not a Lakers fan, but I kind of like roasted Lakers fan on on the podcast. When I said this, (laughs) I said, look at the Lakers or, you know what I mean? Like, look at, look at these teams, you know, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, you know, baseball, whatever it is, if if you're not, if you're not in sync and you're not playing well, you can have all the best guys in the world. And if for whatever reason, their the chemistry could be off. So to me, it was like when I started to see that these, these guys were on the same page, especially bring in Stafford and, and look at what him and cup have done and, and him and Beckham and wh- whoever it is, Von Miller and the defense and, you know, meshing with Aaron Donald. When you started to see that all kind of like gel well together, that's when I was like, this is completely going to work. Yeah, you're right. You know, and, and I yeah. think I think you nailed it with talking about Stafford and Cup because I think I truly think it starts with them. You know, two mm-hmm. guys that that bring their lunch pail every single day. They come in, they work hard. They they don't, you know, they're not striving to for for clicks or or media or you know what their next venture is going to be, a clothing line or something like that. Like those two mm-hmm. guys are all football all the time, and they they just work hard. And when you see the success that they have. And then you see a Von Miller or OBJ come in, it kind of puts them in line a little bit. Does that make sense? No, no. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it's definitely tone setting. Yep. That's, um, you know, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, you know, looking at at Matthew Stafford and and Cooper Cup as well, and he's always been that way. Um, But it's been really cool to see uh, their connection. And, you know, hopefully that's a connection that's going to be around uh, for a really long time for the Rams. And, uh, yeah, you know, I just think, like I said, I think the energy, you know, we've been – we're lucky to have a team that has really good energy. There's not any drama I'm going to knock on wood because you never know nowadays. Um, You know, the Kyler Murray stuff kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, But yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just really happy. I'm just really happy with how things turned out this season. Uh, That's good. Alexis, let us know. uh, I mentioned it when, uh, when we brought you on, but let us, let our listeners know where we can find you, where all your writing and and the podcast is at. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at the Alexis craft. That's craft with a K. Um, everything that I do is, is, uh, posted on Twitter for my podcast, uh, and all the Rams stuff that we do on social media. It's at downtown Rams right now. We actually just started tonight earlier tonight. We're interviewing NFL draft prospects. We do that, uh, every draft season. So we're going to have some interviews coming out with, with the prospects, which is always really fun. So if you're into the draft, make sure to listen to those. And yeah, those are pretty much the two places you can find me. I'm, I'm going to be uh, doing a lot more on YouTube. So if, if you like YouTube, feel free to subscribe to me on there as well. Amazing. Well, thanks again for your time. Congratulations on the victory. And uh, let's catch up in the offseason come draft time or uh, for free agency as well. For sure. Definitely. Anytime. All right. Amazing breakdown there from Alexis. So nice to have her on chatting from downtown Rams co-host of the podcast and a writer on that website as well so if you have the opportunity check out all of the content that she's producing she's doing a great job out there folks we're going to kick it over to break make sure you're following us along on uh, facebook instagram and twitter and giving us a subscribe on our youtube page don't be afraid to rate review share or like the podcast and uh, support the triple g family as well That's putting a bow tie on the 2021-22 NFL season, Super Bowl 56. You know the game plan. You heard it at the start uh, in terms of the offseason and what we're going to do for the football portion of this podcast. We'll back away for a couple weeks here now and kick it back up as the uh, combine and free agency and the draft and everything gets going here throughout the uh, months of March, April, and May. And then uh, throughout the summertime, we'll give you Team by team previews, uh, going with two episode or two teams per episode. A little lighter than last year. Found those episodes went a little bit too long in terms of uh, content. There, um, want to try to keep it to an hour to an hour and ten minutes each week. So that's the end of the 2021-22 season. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had a great season, and in not only enjoying the games in the NFL, but fantasy wise and everything else wise. We'll catch you on the flip side with Dutch and the PGA Tour and our golf picks as we transition over now more to more golf. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like here comes the, no, here comes the, All right, Triple G listeners, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there. And this man that we're going to bring on now, we had him on for the season two finale. He's been absolutely hot, scorching hot, El Fuego, if you will, 
on the golf picks if you've been paying attention on all of our social media fronts and uh, on a week-to-week podcast basis. And that is Dutch. Three weeks in a row, um, he's been inside the top five, and he had Scotty Scheffler on. It's Super Bowl time, so we had to bring him on. Dutch, how the hell are you, my friend? Hey, what's happening, Ginger? Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, things are good. Things are good. I'm still coming off of a big buzz weekend with with the Super Bowl and uh, hitting a little bit of pay dirt. Uh, my, my golf season's well in uh, in fine form right now, so I'm, uh, I'm quite happy. How's things with you? Yeah, everything's going good. Everything's going good. I was the same. Not, not too great on the Super Bowl. Actually, uh, a little $5 uh, Super Bowl squares uh, saved uh, Saved ah, nice. most of my day there, but uh, nice. other than that, I would have would have lost a few uh, few dollars. But uh, overall, it was good and, and enjoyed it. So it's and always I mean, a great weekend for sure. And I I just absolutely love the 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 tournament leading up to it. I'm sure we're going to talk about it. Um, Super Bowl was pretty good, um, and and the golf. Just what what do you, you what can you say? Right, three 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 brand new winners in a row. Uh, shall there be a, shall there be a fourth uh, week in a row? We're gonna we're gonna see. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we'll we'll get into that, but let's start off Dutch. I want to get your thoughts. It's a pretty quiet uh quiet week in the world of golf other than uh some some heavy chatter on this Saudi tour stuff, but in terms of actual play out on these tours, not a whole lot going on. The LPGA is still on a break. Uh the DP World Tour had a couple events canceled, so they're uh they're still on a break as well. Um and the the senior tour gets back. We'll get to that next, but one to start off with our girl Brooke uh, comes out in the 2022 season hot, uh, scorching hot, with uh, almost three straight top tens, a second, a sixth, and an 11th place. What are your thoughts on Brooke here? I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the way she started, but for me, I, the way I look at Brooke is is almost like the Toronto the way I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, she's 24 years old. She's got 10 wins, 63 top tens. All, all everybody can look up the stats. They don't need to hear that, but. With Brooke, is it not all about the majors here? Like, do we not need to start compiling majors and wins here? I don't need any more top tens. I need victories. You, you just you nailed it right there. Listen, she's never won more than twice in a year. Um, yeah, okay, we we know her wins. You just said it. Um, last was early April two thousand and twenty-one. She has all the tools. She's got all the potential. It's time to to hit it, and I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that I think this year there might be the year. I think she's gonna win two tournaments, and I, and I think one of them could be a major. Uh, I, have I decided which one yet? No, I, that'll be uh, you know a few weeks from now. We'll uh, we'll get into that, and and we'll, we'll we'll see if we can pick which major she's gonna win. But yeah, it's time. It's time for her to to show up. She's she's you know arguably top five on that tour, but yet. You know, others are starting to compile some wins there that are uh, right. that are just taking her down and they're bumping her down that ranking now very, very quickly. She's fallen. You know, th- they don't talk about it as much on the LPJ. We do because we're Canadian. And but you, you don't hear her name as much anymore. And she's losing some coverage time as well. Right. Yeah. And it's and that's the thing is, is will she ever fall out of the like, you know, you, you compile all these great top 10 stats. You're never going to fall out of the, the top eight to 15 marker. And that's. Don't get me wrong. That's still a great player in the world. For and sure. She'll still be the greatest female Canadian golfer to ever, to ever live. Yeah. And, and possibly the the greatest Canadian golfer to ever live, male, female, whatever. But with somebody of her talent and the way she's come out, it's to me with her going into her eighth season now on tour, she's comfortable. She knows the golf courses. Yes. I know they've, 
they've really changed them up this year with with the emergence of some of the new purses and and the and the gals being able to get onto some of these historic courses that that the men have been playing for years so that might be a bit of a challenge as well but she's got to find a way to get that putter going get her short game sharpened up and 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 push this over the edge. Yeah, put four rounds together each week out there and uh, and nail one down. And let's hope she can get to to that major. I'm, I'm sure she can. It's a matter of time. And let's hope she's not one of those ones that we're talking about in 10 years that says, you know, you know, the greatest to never win. Just like we talk about with Super Bowls with with uh, quarterbacks, the greatest guy to never win, right? That's right. Yeah, the, the Lee, Lee Westwood, if you will, type of yes, thing. Yes, right? yes, yeah. yes. Oh, I'll talk about Lee Westwood for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, so topic two, Dutch, um, the Chubb Classic, and and on majority of our podcast week, this would have been something that we, that we just kind of fly by and and mention it, and, and then on we go. But I wanted to get your thoughts on it specifically, and a pick from you, because of the golf course, Tiburon Golf Course. I believe they're they're playing the Black Golf Course. Um, I know you've played there four or five times at least, maybe even more. Tell us about the golf course. Tell us about the setup. And tell us, you know, why you think this is, is still a great tour golf course, or maybe you don't feel that way. And and who maybe you like um, this week at that Chubb Classic for the, the Champions Tour? Well, it, it's a great track, and, and and you just kind of threw me for a curveball. I wasn't sure if they were playing the black or gold. Yep. You know, 30, 36 holes there, and I've played most of my golf on the gold, but I have played uh, the black. And I've been there probably seven or eight times um, over the last few years. In fact, I was just there last month playing with the boys and we had, we had a, we had a blast. Uh, the, the staff at Tiburon is just fantastic. I got to give a shout out to Chad and his professional team. They're always, uh, amazing. They've been great to my family. Uh, we've got a place down in Naples there. Uh, my, my wife's family, as you know. Um, so we do frequent that place. It is, it, it, it's a, it's a real treat. You know, Greg Norman did a great job with the golf course. I really, really enjoy the, the green complexes, um, the way the bunker setups are. Um, it's not overly long. I think these guys traditionally always play well. You can see it when they, when they have the fun team event with the QBE shootout, um, lots of roll on the fairways. Greens are phenomenal. Um, I look for a guy like a, you know, I know he's one of the favorites, but I look for a guy like Jimmy Furyk to, you know, get his ball around there. No problem. You know, for me, you know, when I played it, both those courses, you know, I've, I've thrown out some Eagles on some of those par fives. They're going to chew it up a little bit, but who am I going to take here? I'm going to go with a little bit of a long shot. And I, I like Alex Cheka to, uh, to have a good showing there. Uh, Ginge, I think, uh, I think that he's going to surprise some guys this week and you're going to look for his name at the top. Now I'm not going to put too much on him, but I definitely have a little bit of, uh, we'll say shackles as we always do in there. Love it. Um, Dutch, I, uh, I'll, I'll chime in here as well. I don't have the, the same experience um, at Tiburon as you do. I've actually never stepped foot on, uh, on the property. Would, uh, would love that opportunity. I'm sure eventually I'll, I'll get down there to join you one day. But I'm going Kevin Sutherland. Yes. T- T4 last year at this golf course, at this event. Um, I know in 2020 and 2019, it was at a different golf course, but he was still T3 and T4 in this event. So he loves – Loves the Chubb Classic, twenty-two to one. I'm taking Kevin Sutherland uh, this week. I'll I'll throw on uh, a few dollars as well, a few shekels, if you will. 
Well, and I'm and I know I'm going to be watching. And I like that pick. I, I'm going to be watching, and I always like watching courses that you've played, and especially if you played them multiple times. It's different than you know if you've played you know that dream course like a TPC Sawgrass uh, for one time. I mean, everybody knows the golf course on TV, but when you're playing some of these courses that are lesser known, it's it's fun to see because I've been in all different spots and. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a few times where I'm going to be like, I know I was in that, that exact spot. How did he play that shot and where did he go? The greens are tricky there. They're very, very quick. And I'm sure that their superintendent there is going to have them jacked up for uh, for this event to to showcase it like they always do. So nice. I love love the breakdown. Love the insight. Dutch. That's awesome. Let's move on to what everybody's talking about right now, uh, coming off of the weekend. And I totally agree with what you said earlier. One of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, you got the waste management open. You know, it, it's always, always seems to, you know, set up perfectly on that Super Bowl Sunday with a little Big Ten college basketball to start the day. Then you get into the waste management final round. They need to start teeing off a little bit earlier in case they go to a playoff. I think this is the second time in three years or, or second time in four years that this event's gone to a playoff. Um, and it rolls right into the, into the Super Bowl. So it's a perfect Sunday. But specifically what I wanted to talk about in the, the waste management before we uh, before I let you brag a little bit about about your picks there is the 16th hole and and we know what happened on Sunday with the with the tarps off and the shirts off for Kippers off and and all that stuff with with Joel Damon and Harry Hicks but has it gone too far on the 16th hole or is this event still growing the game it's still getting those fringe golfers to, to tune in on a Super Bowl Sunday or is this thing gone uh, gone a little over the top in your mind okay well listen first off i'll always watch it i love the fact that they're starting to get more and more of the the young talented um big stars that are starting to show up and play there and they're not afraid of the the ambiance and i've heard both sides of it i've definitely watched this weekend uh especially even some of my non-golfing friends were tuned in uh you know with with um we had uh, Ryder with his hole in one and then we had uh, Ortiz with his hole in one and, you know, and, and everybody can see it. It's all over social media highlights and, and crazy. Here's my only thing. And it's one only thing. And I don't care if I get bashed by any of my golf friends. Um, this is a one tournament a year where they allow this, we'll say stupidity and I'm okay with it. Okay. I'm okay with it to an extent. Listen, this isn't the masters. The masters is, is, not for everybody either, even though it's one of my favorite tournaments. You know, you can't even you can't even bring a cell phone in. Like if you if you get in the wrong way, you can get turfed from there. I mean, it is the opposite, complete opposite. So why not? Let's have one tournament. Here's my only beef. You gotta fix the bottle throwing. Okay. The all it's gonna take is is one volunteer to get hit in the head, and that that whole that whole stadium period gets taken down drink up splash your beers everywhere do what you need to do maybe they have to i was talking to a, um, a couple of our, our friends there maybe come up with a um a goofy little area where, where the bunker is on the right hand side so for the cameras it would be the left side of the green from the back of the green and and make that a designated area who cares make up a name and call it like the the bunker pond or whatever you want to call it something silly and let them chuck their shit in there don't chuck it across the green and hit somebody. I mean, that's just ridiculous. As far as as far as Higgs and as far as Damon, I'm okay with it. Okay, I'm okay with it. It's a once a year thing. As long as they're you know not 
getting completely intoxicated. You know, I know Damon was up in the stands having a couple of beers with his guys and his friends there. I'm all for it. It, it. Just don't be, don't overdo to the fact that you're going to harm somebody. End of story. That's my opinion on it. What about you? Yeah. You know what? I, I love the idea. And I, as you were speaking, I kind of thought of something the same, like maybe you get a, a waste management bin and you, you try to, you know, that's where they, like you said, that's where they throw the drinks. So if there is a hole in one, um, that's where they throw them. So they're not throwing them out onto the green or, you know, hitting the volunteer. Like you watch the second hole in one, as soon as that ball starts tracking, you see the volunteer and he's running out towards the middle of the green because he doesn't want to get beamed with a, yep. with, with another beer that's, that's throwing down. Right. Yep. So I a hundred percent agree with you there. The other beef I had too is no problem. I get the bottle throwing and the shirts off. I'm cool with all that as well. You know what? Like you said, it's one event of the year. Um, it's going to get some fringe golf fans. It's it's not to you know completely grow the game, and it's not going to send anybody away. Like the the guy who's the the, the guy who's watching that event's not going to not watch the Masters or the U.S. Open because the PGA Tour let that go down, right? So right, he's right. not going anywhere. Um, but it just went just that one step too far. Like Justin Thomas chips in from the back of the green on, on Sunday to get to 12 under still like two or three shots behind the lead. Like he's, it wasn't like he chipped in to tie the lead or take the lead. He's still well back. He's probably out of the golf tournament at that point. And they start, they start raining beers down again. Right. It was like, guys, you know, he chipped in to get to three shots behind the lead with, with two holes left. Like, that might have been a little bit too far in my mind, right? So yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, and and I know it's hard to say. How do you make a rule only hole in ones? You can do this because it's just it's silly, really, when you think about it. Like what you know, and you saw it all over the social media threads. Like man, I guess people in in the states and down that way, everybody down there, they they don't care about money because I'm sure it's not three dollars for a beer like it is at the Masters. You know what I mean? I mean it's it's probably expensive down there, and they're chucking them like it's just water. Yeah, but all those, how many of those are corporately purchased, right? True. Yeah. True. Yeah. So I'm just racking up the uh, the card. So Dutch, let's uh, let's get to our picks last week and this week. Listen, we I threw up a couple extra uh, extra picks on the on the social media front last week, but uh, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. Uh, had a great week at Pebble. Two top fives in there, so you're able to, to cash there. You come into the waste management. You take Xander. And you take Scotty Scheffler and and not Matthew Stafford, Hudson Swafford, baby, um, and you you come away with a with a victory in another top five. Yeah, it's scorching hot. I've been I've been on a roll. I, I you know what? There's a bit of luck involved in it, but I've been on a roll. And and you know, for the listeners out there, and 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 maybe you guys can maybe all the the guys and gals can start to share them. You know. I'm starting to find a lot of value, and yeah, I got lucky with with the W at twenty five to one, and and I uh, I had a big big payday, and 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 it was it was amazing. Helped me have some more fun with the Super Bowl picks, um, but I'm finding a ton of value with with these top ten picks. I've hit five weeks in a row. I've had somebody on my mm-hmm. betting card in the top ten, and you can find some some serious value. And I'm gonna when I give you my picks for this this coming week uh, for the Genesis you're going to see the value that I'm talking about. And I, I just think that, that as much as we, we, we said in years past uh, on, on your podcast here is that golf is hard to pick. You know what, when, when you can find whatever betting site you're using and you can get a, um, some top 10 value, 
it, you can make some decent money and better than than you know trying to pick a, a one a one spread game you know it's uh it, there's definitely 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 good value there yeah for sure and and you know what we were we were all around it you know um i wasn't able to get into that top five or get a victory but we had jt in there almost squeaking into the top five at eighth place louis Ustazen was around all weekend with at, at 14 yeah uh, J, jt poston at 175 to one i know you had him on a first round leader uh, option on on thursday mm-hmm. he was kicking around all weekend matthew fitzpatrick one of the extra picks was kicking around all weekend so um the horses uh we gave everybody were were in the race right to the bitter end all the way up uh through sunday so it was exactly yep. yeah so we moved to uh to riviera the pga tour for the genesis open uh listen this golf course is a historic golf course uh owned by uh naboro watanabe dutch he bought it uh in the nineties or sorry, in the, in the early 2000s, late nineties for 91 million. And they're <laughs> estimating that property to be worth well over uh two to $3 billion now. So quite uh, quite a little investment. It's one of the wow. most historic courses in LA. Uh, got some great members. We've talked about it before in terms of the membership, but Tom Brady, Larry David, Jack Nicholson, Adam Sandler, Mark Wahlberg, Luke Wilson, all still current members there. But uh, a st- historic track. Who do you like this week? Yeah, it's a crazy uh, historic track, and you see it every year, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's not one of my favorites, although I do again, and I go back to the greens. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm really looking forward to the greens. I was already looking at some some of the posts out there and how fast and how crazy they're going to have the greens for this week. So um, I, I'm I'm going to go long shots here, and I I really want to throw out these these top ten picks as I say them. So. Um, I found a, a hundred and five to one um, having an okay start to his season. He was T eight here last year, and he is a current member there as well. And that's Francesco Molinari. Oh, I love it, Dutch. Love you know, it. He, I had him on there. What he's one fifty to one to win the event, and you're right, one hundred five for that top ten, right? Actually, so for my top ten, he's at plus eleven hundred. So if a twenty dollar a twenty dollar wager gets you two hundred and forty dollars if he finishes in the top ten. He's made three cuts in a row. You know, he had a T6 um, back in January at the American Express. I, I, I just think he's going to be around there. I, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to win. Um, I'm not going to pick him in as my win, but I, I, I definitely think he can get in there in the top 10. Yeah, I had him as one of the extra pits, pit picks as well, Dutch. I love it. Awesome. Yep. At, at 80 to 1, and I mentioned this guy to you a couple of days ago already, um, you know, this guy's streaky. He had a streaky uh, a run. I think he had a four or five week run last year where he was hot, hot, hot. And he's quietly last week finished T6. Last year, he was in the top 10 as well. And that's Alex Noren, 80 to 1. You get him at plus 750 so for top 10. So for $20, you're getting $170 in return. I absolutely love yeah. both those picks, to, one of them to get into that top 10. Yeah, I like those, like those picks, both of them. And for my lock of the week, you know, um, I don't know how long he's going to be on this PGA Tour for, so I might as well take him now while, while I can. 17-1, to 1, you know, he's won here before. He just came off of a win in Saudi. He's had a couple weeks off uh, to prepare, and I, I really like him. Another strong field this week, and that's DJ, D- Dustin Johnson. Yeah, he ain't going anywhere. Don't you worry. He's, <laughs> he's staying home. Paulina's not going to let him go, eh? No. <laughs> hey, listen, the one thing that, the one thing that we haven't talked about about this this thing, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to it, is the fact that the PJ Tour's homegrown. It's 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 in the U.S. Like, do these guys really want to go over there 
10 to 12 times fly have to fly for 10 to 12 times that's i think that's we're discounting that fact that that a lot of guys like yeah. the ability to to do what they did this week 29 minutes dutch i i google mapped it today from sofi stadium to riviera so how cool of an experience for some of these guys to be able to hang out in la for pretty much two weeks play some golf get ready for for the genesis go to the super bowl hang out with the stars and then have the the genesis open and then be on their their way from there right like it's that's something that that you know can't be spoken for for sure and just yep. like in in another two years from now when uh when the super bowl's back in arizona and you, yep. you get these you get these guys uh playing the wm and and they're gonna leave and go to the go watch the super bowl so you're right and especially guys that have families it, it's tough i i, I could see I, i'm surprised that you know i know he turned it down but I, you know you could see i know we're getting a bit off topic here but i could see a a, a bryson uh doing it for for a couple of years just uh and, and go there but who knows what all these restrictions and what's going to happen with them and the pga tour right if they're going to yeah. be banned for life or all that stuff so we'll let that shake out and then we can uh we'll talk about it down the road for sure yeah who I'll do you flip, like? I'll flip you my picks now. We'll we'll start from the bottom. Now we here. I'll throw in a little extra pick. One sixty to one. Listen, um, he made the cut last year in this event, T fifty, which is not a great finish. But in twenty twenty, he was T thirteen, and in twenty nineteen, he was T twenty two. He's like I said, one sixty to one. He was quietly T thirty three at the uh, the waste management. I'm taking K H Lee as an extra pick in there as an extreme long shot. I love it. And then my. Uh, my my rock steady. I got two rock steady picks. We'll we'll call him a, a slight long shot, but you know what? He's been real solid. He's been contending pretty much since October and November of last year. He was T twenty six at the waste management. Had a, a struggle in the final round, but other than that, he was right there. T twenty at the farmers. T twenty at the Sony. T fifteen at the Century. So he's had a nice solid start to the year. He was in the top twelve last year in this event, and then in the top ten, he was T ten in twenty twenty. Taylor Gooch, fifty-five to one. I'll put a buck or two down on that. Yep, he's been uh, he's been playing very consistent lately. Absolutely, I love this pick uh, for my rock steady forty to one. He's a good iron player, which is important around this golf course. He was T six at Pebble, T ten at the Waste Management last year. He was fifth in this event in twenty twenty. He was thirtieth, so he's starting to learn the golf course now. I'm taking the Englishman Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's due for a win. We could have a four four in a row here. Yeah, and then uh, I'm taking my my big gun twenty two to one. Listen, he, he missed the cut here last year. It was a big disappointment, but I believe he just come off uh, an equipment change and and getting used to it and ready. But he knows this golf course and he plays well here. T four in two thousand nineteen, T five in twenty twenty, T twenty in two thousand and eighteen. Listen, he was second place out in the Abu Dhabi and T twelve in Abu Dhabi. So equipment's not an issue he's been playing well he's well rested i'm taking rory 22 to 1 i was uh wondering if you're gonna go down that road uh you know it's a, it's a great pick I, I just hope he can uh hope he can you know get on uh, u.s soil here and start to to take over maybe we can see uh some some future brightness with uh with rory and get him back at the top of the winner's circle yeah no doubt well dutch it's always a pleasure talking golf with you i know the golf season for you is just around uh just around the corner, whether you, you want you want to hear that or not. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, not too far off as we're in the middle of February here. Before you know, it'll be turned into March and, and April, and you'll be uh, you'll be opening up your own golf course there. So um, there you go. Yeah, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. 
And uh, for all the listeners out there, hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.